Good evening, everyone. You are listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore, with Stephen Wilson. My name is Stephen Wilson, and I am a drug addict and user. And I am a adult survivor of childhood sex abuse. This podcast is meant for individuals that identify as victims of abuse or addiction. This podcast is a form of therapy for myself. For those of you that have been keeping along, I begin every podcast reading a work of poetry or fiction from individuals that I read. Um, Tonight's episode is going to be dealing with the topic of relationships, so I thought I would grab a collection of erotic poems. (laughs) Ooh, erotic poems. And just start reading some of the ones that uh, can put us in the mood. The first one is entitled Lover. It was written by Paul Eliard, 1895 to 1952. It was translated by Derek Parker. Lover, secretly behind your smile, the words of love nakedly discover your breasts and your neck and your hips and your eyelids. Discover every caress so that the kisses in your eyes Reveal entire the whole of you. That was the poem Lover, written by Paul Eliard, 1895-1952, translated by Derek Parker. I'm going to try to find the the ones I had selected. The book's not cooperating. It is fitting. Okay, the next one is called Last Dawn. It is written by Octavio Paz, 1914. At the time of the publication, he was still alive. It was translated by Elliot Weinberger. Your hair lost in the forest, your feet touching mine. Asleep you are bigger than the night, but your dream fits within this room. How much we are who are so little. Outside a taxi passes with its load of ghosts. The river that runs by is always running back. Will tomorrow be another day? That was the poem, Last Dawn, written by Octavio Paz, born 1914, translated by Elliot Weinberger.
This poem is entitled Breasts. It was written by Bartorari, 5th century, translated by John Burrow. They are firm, and you are tender, full and round, though you are slender. Bold your breasts while you are shy, since so near your heart they lie. That was the poem Breasts, written by Bartari, translated by John Burrow. It was written in the fifth century. The next one is entitled The Woman Underneath, and it was written by Robert Martier. He was born 1944. On reflection, it all came down to nylon, stockings, bras, pants. Of course, there were other things, swing of buttocks, flap of breasts, a whole shape of arc and indent. But somehow it was the synthetics, hitched nylon and erotic mechanics that set us light years apart. What did we have when we undressed? Socks, jockeys, a string vest. But when they stepped out of shoes, blouse, and skirt, voila, the French maid, that circumplex of taut stocking, band, snickers, sheeny as a courtesan's, the strippers, unhooking aerobatics, and the Lautrec girl stooping his puckered hose lizards. They held us in a man-made scissors. That poem was The Woman Underneath, and it was written by Robert Martier, 1944. He was born in 1944. The next poem is entitled Delight and Disorder. It was written by Robert Herrick, 1591-1674. A sweet disorder in the dress, kindles and clothes a wantonness, a lawn about the shoulders thrown into a fine distraction, an erring lace which here and there enthralls the crimson stomacher, a cuff neglect, and thereby ribands to flow confusedly, a winning wave, deserving note, in the tempestuous petticoat, a careless shoestring in whose tie I see a wild civility. Do more bewitch me than we art is too precise in every part. There was delight in disorder. It was written by Robert Herrick, 1591-1674. The last one I'm going to read is entitled A New Love. 
It was written originally in the 15th century. Unknown. Style of the new moon, stirrings of new love. Scratches of nails scarring her firm breasts. At times she eyes them and at times she shields. As poor hands cover treasure dear as life. For the first time she knew the act of love. The joys of dalliance fill her thoughts. Wrapping her around the shudderings of delight. Safe from the eyes of vicious friends. She holds a gem as mirror to her face. Lowers her brow that none can see. And then with tender care studies the love bites on her lower lip. That poem was entitled The New Love. It was written in the 15th century. Author unknown. Today's podcast is going to be dealing with relationships. And this is something that in group we've dealt with again and again and again. And I suppose being redundant indicates its priority in everyone's life. And I am no different. But when you're in therapy and you're in a situation where they know that you were sexually abused as a child, there is enough empirical data, there is enough published and peer-reviewed journal articles to indicate some commonalities that every so-called survivor deals with in adulthood. I may have mentioned these before, but I'm going to go back through and go a little bit psychobabble, a little bit psychiatry, a little bit psychology, a little bit sociology. But the biggest problems that we deal with, trust, power, intimacy, sexuality. Now, the first one, trust, is something that you'll deal with in, in my own experience in just about every group therapy that you're going to deal with. Because when you are sexually raped, when you are molested, when you are abused as a child by somebody of authority, whether it's family or friend or for myself, it was an educator. You are taught not to question authority. Whether it is what you do on Sunday at church or what you do Monday through Saturday in school or the family. But the thing is, is that once you come out once you tell people that you were a victim, it has been my experience that the topic becomes problematic. 
Over the years, there have been people, and of course, this goes in my own studies, when I, when I matriculated into experimental design and psychiatry, do you tell that person that you're with? Because inevitably, if the relationship goes on and on, that person is more than likely going to pick up on some certain um, smaller things that indicate that there may be some problems. Because if you look at that list that I just named off, power, wanting to make sure that you have total control or control is an illusion, you're completely powerless. Intimacy, wanting someone to see you naked, you don't want them to see you naked. You lock the door when you take a shower, you leave the door open to let them watch. Or in regards to your sexuality, you're not really sure what team you belong on. For me, the teacher was a man. So I didn't know if that made me gay or bisexual or, or what. But it is something that every guy in the group went through. Some of them are still dealing with it. But trust is always the one identified as the top priority. And the reflection to trust has always been honesty. I was taught that in school, that's what I found out in therapy, and that's what I'm dealing with in group. But again, when you're talking about being honest about this, this topic is not something that most people can register. It is true that maybe the individual has empathy. They have sympathy. Maybe they themselves have, have suffered something like that in their own life. And they were waiting unexpectedly to find someone to say, hey, I know what you're feeling, I know what that's like because it happened to me. But for those of us that are the extreme, we have been hospitalized, we have tried to commit suicide, we have unhealthy relationships, we live an unhealthy lifestyle. What happened to us as children, it changed everything. And that includes the relationships that we have as an adult. But the relationships, whether they're same sex or opposite sex or non-binary or whatever you identify with, trust is always going to be the biggest thing. And I have been told again and again that honesty is the one thing that allows trust to build. So, of course, I use this in my own life. And over the past, I don't know, five or six years, and more so in the past couple of years, the disclosure of the information, the 
the rape, the the things that happened to me in seventh grade. It does change things. And I have to tell you that at the adult table, it's almost as if you're dealing with another kind of victimization. Now, it, obviously, as I mentioned, people have studied this. I myself was a participant in a study um, some 15 or 20 years ago. And in regards to this kind of relationship, when you're with someone that has been sexually abused as a child, there is a bit of role playing. You are going to come across partners that they want to be, they really want to be supportive. They, they want to be there for you. And then there are people that play the role of the perpetrator or the bystander, the voyeur. And the thing is, is that when you disclose this information, you're giving them a sense of control because you've let them into your past, but you are in the present time. Life is nothing but a sequence of moments, and in that moment you told that person what happened to you as a child and what it has done to you your entire adult life. Or maybe you gave them enough and they said, well, I really don't want to talk about it, or maybe, you know, I, I understand and I'm sorry it happened, but I really don't want to go any further. It has happened to me. But because you were because you deal with trust, and as I've gotten older, I'm just a few years away from being 50, the one thing, the reason that trust is a priority, the reason that it plays such a huge role in our lives is that it is the idea that we're going to be victimized again because we're going to be fooled again. As a child, somebody with authority, somebody in our family, a teacher, from, in my case, somebody told me what's what, and they did something that felt completely unnatural, and it was just all bad. Your body stays there, your mind goes someplace else. Or that's what happened with me. A full schism. A full break. But even now, at the adult table, at this stage of my life, there's always that, that lingering idea, Stephen, you're going to get fooled again. Because in the past couple of relationships, I have been honest in regards to dealing with this, and the podcast has made it somewhat easier 
because I'm right now I'm all alone and I'm talking into a microphone and I'll be editing in software and it'll be posted on Buzzsprout and other places and there it this is somewhat impersonal it's somewhat like a Rorschach but more auditory than ink But when you disclose that information, and I have been honest, I told them what happened, or I told them what I need. And for myself, the only thing that I ask of any woman is kindness and time. And it has been my experience that this does not translate. She shakes her head or she hugs me or she kisses me and there's some sort of affirmation but it seemingly hits the ground when the moment is over. We part company. Now I told, my, I told her the truth. I told her that I want kindness and I want time. I want to be with you, physically be with you. I don't want to see you on a phone. I don't want to text you. I don't want to hear your voice. I want to be with you. Time shared between us. And because there are times that I am hypersensitive, because of the trust, because of the idea of being a piñata, the idea of being a dartboard. Because, believe it or not, there are people that think that it is funny to have been molested as a child. I will not comment on what those people are, but... You know, normally when you come across them, the next step is to flush. But in my own experience, I tell the woman that I want time with her and she does nothing about it. She does not alter anything. Now she may say something like, I'm gonna make an effort to spend more time with you. But the thing is, as in all language games, something gets lost. And I understand that the therapist and the people that done the studies you know, honesty is what builds trust. But what if the honesty is only one way? How can you have a relationship with somebody where you're being honest with them and they are not being honest with you? Or, or maybe it's a partial honesty or a percentile. I'm 77% sure that that's being honest. Something like that. Well... Not only is that toxic and unhealthy, but that tree, that tree is going to bear no fruit. You're not going to be able to have a relationship like that. Or that's been my experience. Because the desired outcome is that I want to love someone. I have a heart and I want to use it. But it appears that finding somebody 
that is worthy of my love, whatever that is, and, and maybe I've overvalued myself. Maybe I have an ego problem. Maybe I think I'm too important. But in, in disclosing this information and in, in telling them what I want, nothing changes. And I feel sad. And then the disappointment turns into something ugly. You get to a point where you wish that you had never met her. Because the investment has been made and you find out that it is a poor investment. Kindness and time. They are more precious to me than anything. And it is because they are so rare. Because in my own life, I love with my qualities and my faults. I'm doing the best I can. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it, but I'm doing the best I can. The fear, the feeling of being afraid, exposing yourself. Yes, that still happens. I would like to tell you that I had total command of what was happening in my heart, but that would be a lie. I have no more control than you do, and maybe I have less because of what happened. It's not really a fear of commitment. Or maybe it is, maybe that's what being fooled is about. Did you pick the right partner? Did you pick the right school? Did you have enough kids? Did you have too many kids? Did you, did you pick the wrong degree? Did you apply to the wrong job? Why did they hire you? Why did they say yes? You wanted two kids, now you got four. And now you have no me time. I think that relationships will always be difficult, maybe impossible. And I will not speak in generalizations or universals. I will not speak for you. I will speak for myself. But I will tell you point blank, telling a woman how I feel has brought me no benefit. Telling her that I want kindness and time, her time. There needs to be participation. There needs to be a want, a desire. I am well versed in language philosophy and talking doesn't mean anything. I mean, it does, but I suppose it's a little bit cliche, but actions do speak louder than words. And in, when you're in a relationship and you've got somebody that is not participating, how long do you wait to say, look, you're not pulling your weight in this relationship. I show up, you don't. I show up, you show up, 
but you only stick around for 40 minutes. There's nothing wrong with casual, there's nothing wrong with poly, there's nothing wrong with open, but every relationship needs clarity. If two people want to be together and two people decide to, to make that declaration, then there needs to be action. And inevitably, the relationship should be all action. There should not be any, there should be no necessity of language. You, you really shouldn't have to keep saying, I love you, or I want to be with you. I want to lay here naked with you. I want to take a shower with you. I want to hold your hand while we're in the store. These things should not be verbalized. They should be felt, and it should be mutual. Because if it's not mutual, then it's not healthy. You can't have a relationship where somebody is doing all the heavy lifting. Because quite frankly, a relationship, after a certain point, it really shouldn't be any heavy lifting. That shouldn't be part of the deal. Both people should be willing to do the work and it should be mutual and that should be something that should be a constant. I will put it to you like this. I want to love, but I am involved. Again, am I the problem? Did I tell her too much? Did that poison the well? Did it remove any kind of future? There have been a few women that just basically stuck around because they felt sorry for me. I mean, sympathy is fine, but here, it's not healthy. I don't want to be in a relationship where I'm being tolerated because you're afraid to hurt my feelings. Everybody deserves a chance at happiness. And you're going to keep looking for that as long as you're not satisfied. That's, that's just the way the human works. Once you're satisfied, you're going to stop looking. You're going to sit down with that person in that field with the wind blowing and the, and the tall grass and have a picnic. And you're not going to worry about where you are or what day it is or what time it is. You're just together and that's all that matters. I know that I am needy. And I know that I go back and forth between being a top and a bottom, wanting total power, giving up total power. All the guys in the group, they've gone through the same thing. And like I said, some are still going through it now. 
It's almost as if we never get a chance to stop being a victim. As a child, it was a force. There was no consent. As an adult, you have to make that choice for yourself. Don't leave it up to a therapist. You have to decide what you say, when you say it, and to whom you say it to. Right now I'm saying this to a microphone. But maybe it should be a person. Maybe I will always be the fool. Maybe that is my role. Find someone, tell them, and then watch them just wait for something better to come along. Somebody that's all put together, somebody that's normal. Somebody that can handle things in the real world. I know my drug use has caused a problem in the past. I know it makes me look weak. But it always helps me sleep. And it keeps away the demon. And you may not understand the demon, but the demon is my past. Seventh grade, North Junior High, Crystal Lake, Illinois. As long as I'm alive, he is still alive. And that is how I feel. Maybe I don't deserve a happy ending. I wonder if you get a quota. Maybe I've just run out of chances. <laughs> Maybe I'm spending too much time in my head. Well. I don't know if this is going to benefit anyone. It was just something that I needed to talk about. And outside of group, I don't have anybody to talk to. Not about these things. So that's all I have. You have been listening to the podcast for the leaves of a victim nevermore with Stephen Wilson. My name is Stephen Wilson. And I wish upon you to be a blessing. 
and may you find serenity.